Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Wrap. Today I'm with Catherine Lindsay and Catherine is an award-winning customer experience leader with 21 years experience in customer service and customer experience. Currently head of customer experience for Hitachi Capital and Catherine was previously director of customer experience at Hermes and has also led teams at Santander and GE Capital. And as well as winning awards, I actually met Catherine while she was doing a UK tour of judging. <laughs> and Catherine has been a judge at the European Customer uh, Contact Centre and Customer Service Award, the X's, and also the Customer Experience Awards. Hello, Catherine. Hello, and thank <laughs> you for having me. <laughs> no problem. Um, so we met at the judging and got on um, really well. What's I guess a lot of people are always interested in guests' journeys to this point. How have you got to this point? Wow. So I guess like most people, um, it wasn't exactly planned like this. So I um, went to university in Liverpool to do history and after about two terms decided it wasn't for me and dropped out. So my mum got me landing back on the doorstep going, hi, I'm yeah. here. <laughs> Surprise. I'm, I failed, hi. <laughs> uh, and bless her, she welcomed me back with open arms and then I had to find a job. Um, so I had a fantastic job for a little bit. I was the promotions assistant for the Yorkshire Evening Post, which mainly involved running competitions, which was fantastic fun. I got to pick the winners out of envelopes. Nice. Um, and yeah, and see who won like the Sherwood Walks and things like that. <laughs> the Sherwood Walks? Yeah, so we used to get PR companies contacting us going, oh, I've got 10 Sherwood As Walks. As in a walk? Yeah, oh, like okay. a cook with. Yeah. And then we would, uh, in return for advertising space, so we would go, oh, here we go, dear readers, would you like to win a Sherwood Walk? And then they'd all send letters in, because at the time everything was letters. <laughs> and then I would have the honour of picking the letter out of the person who would uh, win the Sherwood Walk. So it was great fun, really good fun, um, but it didn't pay an awful lot of money. <laughs> so I think after a bit, my mum was probably a bit sick of me and I wanted to uh, move away from home into the big lights of Leeds. So because I couldn't afford to do that on my wage, um, I looked through the newspaper at the time again and... Uh, it's funny how mad that kind of stuff is, isn't it? Looking at jobs in newspapers. Encircling them. Yeah. Oh, I quite like the look of that one. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, yeah, or my mum circling them. Why don't you have a look cut, at that Cut one? that out and put, <laughs> it, in, put it in my little yeah. file. Yeah, ring them from the house phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there was a job and it was a customer service advisor at British Gas. And the main pull of it was the salary, if I'm honest. So it would give me enough money to move out of home, move into Leeds. Um, and I kind of, this sounds like a really weird thing to say, I quite like the idea of the headset. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which, <laughs> after you've worked in customer services, you totally get sick of the headset, don't you? But at the what, time- What, beforehand, you wanted to just have a <laughs> yeah, headset on? Yeah, I did. So I remember the first day putting my headset on, I was really proud. I've made it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with my headset. Um, but that was the start of kind of a 21-year journey, which has just been amazing. So British Gas were fantastic. <laughs> why, the, why the headset? What was it just... I don't know. I've got no idea. I just, I don't know whether I just thought it was quite... Catherine's not wearing one now, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not wearing a headset now, no. Um, I don't know what it was. It was weird. It is kind of cool, like, pulling it down. Yeah, yeah. it was... I don't know if it was a bit like being a pilot or something. <laughs> not, yeah. Although it's not at all. But, yeah, I just had this bit of a, a headset obsession. <laughs> so, 
needing money and having a headset obsession. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Customer services. Um, British Gas were amazing. British Gas were really structured. Um, I had a fantastic six-week training program. And then I was let loose on the customers. And the thing I loved about British Gas um, was they the range of customers that you could speak to so you would go from kind of literally hand holding an old lady through how to do a meter reading mm. to talking to someone about how to change gas and electricity suppliers to dealing with some quite complex complaints about bills and it was the variety mm. i think that was really good but also i know um you've referenced this in your podcast it was the family yeah. feeling um i'd never worked in such a big office yeah. and i walked in and everybody was kind of quite similar to me there was a real broad uh, age range so you kind of had kind of your mother figures and your father figures and then you had like your your brothers and sisters yeah. and and we all kind of went out on an evening together we, i mean i was only 18 at the time so we were still into kind of going out on friday night for a drink after work um and there was a really good social scene around it and we were in the middle of leeds and i think um completely by accident ending up there with my headset on um and finding something that i really enjoyed doing um british gas were also quite structured in the sense that they had a sort of um kind of management development program yeah but you could maybe see where you could yeah you could go yeah so being for somebody who's never known what they want to do with their lives particularly um to never I'm, I, and even now i wouldn't say i'm an ambitious person i could see a path that I thought I was really interested in taking. Um, and so I went from being a customer service advisor, I think I was there for about a year, and then went to be a senior customer service advisor. Um, and that's when I started to kind of move into sort of people management, people mm. leadership, and start to kind of be more um, involved with leading the team. That jump from customer service to senior, did that, was there training around that, so the people management or not? or? Did you just get given more opportunities by having more responsibility or? So it was a bit of both really. There was more kind of mentoring, I would say, mm. than an official kind of program. So mm. I, also similarly to you, I can remember distinct people who've had an influence on the way my career's gone. And, and I had a senior who kind of mentored me into being a senior called Rhiannon Broadbent, who um, I don't know if she, I don't know if she's still there or not, but she kind of really put her arm around me mm. and sort of showed me how. Um, and so that was kind of like the, the start of my like foray into people leadership. And then after about two years of being at British Gas, there was a restructure um, and they got rid of the senior positions. Um, and I went off and spent a short stint at Yorkshire Electricity and a short stint at Telewest, and then completely by accident again ended up at G Capital. And I guess that was a real pivotal, but pivotal, pivotal point in my <laughs> career because G Capital were fantastic. They were a fantastic company to work for. Um, and again, completely by accident, kind of, I'd, I'd gone to Telewest. It was just manic. Mm. I was a team manager, but all we did was take phone calls because mm. they didn't have enough staff and there was mm. no money to accrue. I mean, we are talking 20 years ago. Um, and went for an interview at G Capital, uh, got the job, some more kind of pivotal people in my life. Um, and G Capital, I was there for about 10 years. And the fantastic thing about them was, if they saw that you were somebody who had some potential, they would move you around. Right. So you moved. Systematically as part. Yeah, yeah. So they had a bit of a mantra that was, you should never stay in a job for longer than 12 to 18 months. Um, 
and that way you just broaden your skill set. That's great. It was fantastic. Mm. And I think what they gave me that probably British Gas couldn't, because British Gas, being the kind of monster that it is, I mean that in a nice way. Um, nice monster. <laughs> nice monster, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Customer service was in Leeds, but if you wanted to do something different, you had to go mm. to Birmingham or yeah. Cardiff or yeah. up to um, uh, Scotland, which just wasn't feasible. Mm. Um, and GE had a, a massive operation in Leeds. Um, so I think in the space of 10 years, I probably did, this is off the top of my head, about 10 different jobs. So every year you would move into something else. Um, and they looked at it in the sense that as a future leader, they wanted you to have a broad um, background of different skills so that when you move to the next level, it actually wasn't a, a shock to the system because mm. they'd already given you the experience that you needed to do that job well already. So you kind of know enough about lots of different areas that you might be responsible for but you allow people to be the experts within their kind of yeah yeah totally so i started as the team leader of um a team who looked after customers in financial difficulties um, and having always worked in customer service, that was a transition into kind of collections and recoveries. Mm. Um, and some of the- Vulnerable customers as well. Yeah, yeah, some of the challenges that that um, we know exist around there. Um, and again, I think I was only 21 at the time, so I'm gonna uh, kind of give away my age now, but um, it was quite a long time ago. <laughs> um, so things were a little bit different, but yeah, that was a really interesting team to work in. Um, and from there went to, look at some projects on how do we increase the recovery rate so didn't have any, any direct reports but looked at kind of more of the financial and the way the business works did some supplier management which again was just a case of broadening my skill set did service management so went to work in a real-time team um, went off to have my uh, daughter um, who's now 15 and then came back and helped implement treating customers fairly into um, the organization and then from there, moved into my first kind of operational manager role, um, managing a team of team leaders. So if you go for some of those, certainly that right at the start, being exposed to that and still, so you were leading people at that kind of 21, yes. 22. How did you find that? Um, so it's really interesting, isn't it, when you reflect back? Yeah, which uh, this kind of experience mm. makes you do, doesn't it? Because we don't often think back yeah so i think the biggest thing that i learned doing that is that i think you are more um unsure of how to have difficult conversations mm. and difficult conversations can be quite challenging because i thought that the person on the other end of them would take them very personally mm. um, and struggle with them mm. and i think i probably didn't have the um, knowledge or skills to be able to approach them in the right way. So I think certainly in the early days, I probably avoided difficult conversations yeah. as much as I possibly could. Mm. And I might have been a little bit more like people's friend. Oh yeah, I can absolutely empathize with that because it was, how do you have converse, how do you, because you you're just thinking about the other person and maybe that other person on the other side of the table is a lot older than you, got more yeah. life skills and you're kind of, you go into 20, that kind of like, who yeah. am I to tell them? yeah how do i how do i sort of tell them but not yeah and so i think there was definitely an element of that i think there was definitely an element of trying to be friends um so i suppose thinking about that more broadly um that's something that i think i'm really keen to equip 
are. I was going to ask. Emerged. So how does that influence you now? Yeah. So I think it. I think it really does. One of the things that we had, we, we launched at Hermes when I was there. We called it the Step Up Program. We've done something similar at Hitachi, which we're calling Aspiring Leader. Um, they're similar, kind of, but they've got very different content. So uh, at Hermes, we launched Step Up, which was um, how do we take some of our kind of very talented um, advisors and give them some of the skills and t uh, tools to be able to step into a leadership role, yeah. but also have a pipeline of people when leadership roles become available that we know we can ask to manage an academy of new yeah. starters or you know do some floor walking or whatever it is. Um, so at Hermes, that was kind of very task focused. Um, we're taking a slightly different view at Hitachi and um, I've got a fantastic lady called Sam Campbell who works with me who is our operational um, training manager and she's launched the Aspire program and it's about taking our aspiring um, advisors but really making them think about what leadership means to them so it's not necessarily task orientated mm -hmm. at the moment it's more kind of like thinking well who do you want to be and when you look around and you see leaders around you what are the kind of things that they do um, and they each month they cover a different topic so one of the things that's really close to my heart and it made me smile the other day I try and read at the end of each month they, they, they complete a module um, and then I try and read the submissions to kind of get a feel for where they're at on the program um, and the submission they just did was resilience Nice. Um, and so that just made me smile because they would picked up on so many of the things that you know as you get older you've relied yeah. on to get through certain difficult times of your life so I think the topics they've done so far is um, uh, introduction to leadership so what kind of a leader do you want to be if you had to determine what your brand was mm. what, what, what would it be and, and how do you kind of emulate that um, and then they've done emotional intelligence great and resilience brilliant because I guess that makes people think past that kind of first because I know a lot of people that are listening to this that will contact saying they're maybe in their first management position and it can feel overwhelming. And then to default to wanting to be popular and not upset people yeah. is probably the easiest. You just go, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this. So emotional intelligence and, and also determining what that leadership looks like is great a great place to start. Yeah, and I think the the cohort that we've got at the moment, it's our first one, so we're, we're trialling it, um, and the feedback's been amazing. Sam's done an amazing job, and you just have to, well, like I say, each month when I read through um, their latest topics, they present back to Sam um, to kind of pass the module, and the presentations are just so heartwarming because mm. you can see how they've taken the learning, and then they present back how they've relayed that into real life. Um, and it's all about asking for feedback as well. So when they're doing these things that they're learning how to do, asking how it's um, kind of making the people around them feel. Well, the self-awareness is kind of a key. I, it's only come to me late, I think, in terms of understanding more and what it can what it can do for, for your leadership skills, for sure. Yeah, so that's um, been amazing, actually. Really um, heartwarming to see how they're all um, getting on on the programme. So it's fantastic. Where were we though? Because I distracted you. Oh, you were... we were. I know where we were. We were the things that we do wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what were we like when we forget our first leadership it, yes. roles? <laughs> and we're nice to everybody. <laughs> but then, but where were you in the? So you were still at GE at this Ye, point. So my first. So when I left British Gas as a senior, I went to Yorkshire Electricity for six months as a team manager of a correspondence team. So there's another blast <laughs> from the past. Yeah. Faxes. <laughs> yeah, faxes and letters. Because <laughs> um, I don't think we ever had emails then. 
Well, you remember getting right facts. Everyone was like, oh, it's a fact, but it's on, a, it's on your computer. Wow, that's amazing. It's amazing, yeah, wow. <laughs> Isn't that just an email? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we, I worked in there and we had batches of correspondence nice. with batch headers, yeah. if you remember them. Yeah. Um, but then they announced that the office was closing at Yorkshire Electricity. So Empower bought Yorkshire Electricity and because I'd only been there six months, I kind of moved on. Um, so I had managed people there, but G, I guess, was, I suppose, where, where I really um, spent more time leading people and massively broadened my skill set. This is also resilience, because in a short space of time, at a young age, you'd already mm-hmm. managed people, managed different teams, and also had to leave jobs because of restructures and, yeah. and things like that, again, which is it's stuff to process, right? Yeah, I think it is. And I... It, it's it, it's such a long time ago, and I've drank some wine since then, so I can't remember how I felt at the time. But um, I think because I think because I'd found something that I really liked doing, um, not just because of the headset, <laughs> not just because of the headset, I'd gone a bit beyond the headset. You are now leading. <laughs> yeah, um, I I was quite fortunate, I think, to be in Leeds because the Leeds Contact Centre um, industry at the time was booming. So I don't remember consciously thinking, "Ooh, I'm really worried about mm. the fact that I'm I'm not going to have the job at Yorkshire Electricity, I think I was just taking every opportunity um, and grabbing it with both hands and going, great, you know, mm. um, I've got a relatively short attention span, my husband will <laughs> tell you, I can't watch films because <laughs> they're too long, <laughs> unless it's kids' films, they're okay, quite good. Yeah. Um, so I think the the what suited me then was doing different roles yeah. and then at GE I stayed for so long because they moved you around so mm. much, so you never got bored, um, everything kind of kept changing but I had a bit of a revelation at GE and that was that um, I got moved into roles where I didn't have a team and I thought that would be great and it wasn't it didn't suit me at all Why? Um, um, I think I like the interaction with people I think having being a university dropout my only uh, my only skill in life is people um, so I love customers and I love people and I think I found some of the jobs where I worked on my own quite lonely. Mm. Um, I think that um, I quite like the buzz of an operation. So I can plan things, but then I get things thrown at me as well. So it's a bit like a constant juggling act, spinning plates. Whereas when I had to plan my own workload all the time and it was a bit more kind of structured and things just didn't happen, I was a bit like, oh, this is a bit dull. (laughs) What should I do today? (laughs) Oh, I could do that, but I'll just put that off to the end of the week because now I can't be bothered. So I think um, that... As much as having managed some teams for a bit, I was really looking forward to having no team. Um, the second it happened, I was like, no, I found my place in the mm. world. That yeah. kind of made me realise. And I don't think I've done a job since then where I didn't have a team or I wasn't in an operational area. Um, so it really helped highlight um, what it was that I enjoyed. And I, I, I'm grateful to G for giving me the breadth of experience, but also for making me realise what I really love. And that's lovely, isn't it? Because it yeah. kind of talks to the people will, People living in the moment might think that where they're at is kind of final or there's a finality to it, mm. when, when in fact it's not really, is it? You're just still discovering the things that you like, you want to do, the roles that you like. Yeah, totally. And I think um, I think having a relatively short attention span, then um, the more um, variety that you have in your day-to-day job or the more variety of roles that you can move around to. For me, it was never about getting a more important job mm. and I'm not hierarchical at all. For me, it's always about um, how do I keep on learning things? Because mm. at the point where you stop learning, I yeah. think that's when the kind of 
doldrums start to set in, don't yeah, they? Yeah, for sure. Hmm. So it was always just about... Um, well, I, I'm telling a bit of a lie, actually, because there was one point, I think at GE, they made me move around so much at one level, I got really frustrated and I was like, no, I just want to get a promotion because <laughs> yes. I've done every job you've asked me to do. Um, and no, wait, there's one more. <laughs> yeah, that's what they would do. Hmm, but hang on a minute, let me get look, get, let me get the list of competencies out. Maybe you should spend some more time on commercial focus. I'm like, ah, God damn it. So, uh, yeah, I think that was, um, that's probably the one point in my career where I've got pretty frustrated. Um, but having said that, when I took the step up, I completely appreciated why they'd made me do it yeah. because it was relatively straightforward. And I think the step from moving from managing a team of people at an, at an advisor level to managing a team of team leaders can be quite different. Um, yeah. So I think I was quite well prepared for that, um, having done every other job at GE. What? <laughs> I'm joking, <I> didn't really. <laughs> and what would that kind of then change to managing, so the change from managing your advisors to managing team leaders you say it's different in what way oh gosh I think there's a few things I think you have to be um, mindful of communication because I think when you're directly communicating to people you know exactly what you've said and you can sense check that people have received it in the right way so I think when you are um, leading through people you have to make sure that the messages are clear and yeah, that that's a great point. The messages are translated in the way that you wish them to be translated um, I think that you, um, you're mindful, I think, at, at each level that you move through an organisation. Um, and, and this works in two ways, that as, as people get a bit more senior beneath you, they have more bandwidth to operate themselves. Yeah. So um, I'm not naturally a dictator and I'm not a natural kind of micromanager. So I like to step back and let people sort of find their own feet. So I think it there was some kind of balance to be found there because I think sometimes you can, uh, you do need to step in and be a bit more dictatorial um, and other times you don't. Mm. Um, and I think I have to um, think about that sometimes because I'm naturally um, an enabler, I would say. Um, but you have to know when to step in and kind of sometimes be a bit more kind of firm when things aren't happening in the way that you think. But you also have to keep your eyes and ears open and observe because otherwise you don't know whether things are happening in the way that you think they may be, or and that, that can, you would I like guess them that to can be. be situational, as well as people-based as well. So you might amend your style slightly, based on both of those two things: the situation or the content, and the people. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that you learn over time is that you have to you have to be able to flex your style anyway to mm. suit different people or mm. circumstances. Um, and I think if you only had, if you were either one way or the other, either too dictatorial or too laissez-faire, I suppose, would be the opposite, then um, you're probably not going to hit every situation or every group of people right. So it's maybe it's knowing when to flex mm. within there to, to make sure that the messages are getting through. So I think it was a really it was a really interesting time for me. I had a great team. Um, it was a back office team. I'd never managed a kind of a big back office team before, so that had lots of um, interesting challenges within it. Um, and then I went from there and had my son, who is now nearly ten. And then that was a really funny period of my life because um, he um, is an absolute little superstar. But I got quite bad postnatal depression after mm. that, um, and never 
I've always been kind of emotional, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Which my husband, if he listens to this, will be like, oh my God, <laughs> that's an under. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think one of the things that um, happened is I was at home uh, with him um, and I just couldn't cope. And I thought the answer was rushing back to work because mm. I, just, I just couldn't be at home. Um, and then when I went back to work, that wasn't the answer either. Um, and I went to the doctors um, and I wasn't sad. I was just angry, yeah. really angry. <laughs> so um, I went to the doctors and, and I said to him, oh my God, I, like I'm, I've lost all this weight and I'm angry all the time and my body aches and I don't know what's wrong with me. And he just said, okay, so how old is your son? Well, he's six months old. Um, have you got this? Have you done the da 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 And he said, you're depressed. And I was like, nah. No, I, I'm not, not crying. I'm not yeah, sad. I'm yeah. not sad. I'm just really angry. And he was like, no, no, you are. You've got all the classic symptoms. He said, I said, but why am I losing so much weight? And he went, well, when was the last time you ate? Oh, God, I can't even remember. Really? He went, right, that's a classic sign. Um, I was sleeping all the time. So he said, you're either not sleeping when you're depressed or you sleep all the time. I was sleeping constantly. Couldn't get enough sleep. Um, I, he said, you, you're aching because you're tense all the time. You're just tense. And you're like a coiled spring and it's coming out like kind of this anger and like irrational thinking i would we'd go on a dog walk and the ki- and the, uh, the kids would run off and i'd go oh, the kids hate me and they're going to leave me and, and they don't think i'm a great mum. and my husband would be like oh my god where's this come from they're just running with the dog yeah. <gasps> you know so it was a real real funny time um but has made me again very very appreciative of the challenges that people have around you all the time because when you've been through that yourself um so it's very depressing this but I remember at certain no it's really it's really helpful it's insightful well at certain points when things were really bad I would say to my husband um there's no point in me carrying on because I'm not adding any value to anything I'm just going to drive my car off the bridge and he'd be like oh my god you know you stop it now we need Mm. to get you some help um and thankfully um I, I did get help and I took voluntary redundancy from um GE who'd been bought by Santander um and just spent three years at home just with my son, with my daughter, with my um, stepchildren and um, just kind of getting my head right, I think, because one of the things that I was really shocked about with postnatal depression was um, I couldn't come off the antidepressants. So the antidepressants were great in some ways because um, I didn't want to drive my car off a bridge anymore. But what they did do was dull everything Mm. Um, and my brain was foggy. And my brain was foggy for quite a while. And every time I tried to come off them, it didn't work. And I'd have to go back to the doctors and the doctor would I'd say, well, when are I going to come off them? And they said, well, maybe never. Maybe your son's changed your, your kind of like your psychological makeup in mm. some way and you're never going to come off them. And I used to think, God, is, is this it then? Because yeah. I, I'm kind of, I'm me, but I'm sort of a dulled me. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a tough time. Um, and I think I didn't really recover until I, um, when I was off, I set up my own beautician's business. So this is just, again, totally <coughs> random. Yeah, um, and I spent um, sort of three years setting it up, getting trained, running the website, um, putting special offers on, meeting loads of lovely ladies um, near where I lived, the odd gentlemen, but mainly ladies. Um, and I think I got to a point where that was great fun. And in a funny way, it taught me about running a business mm. from beginning to end because mm. I had to do everything. Um, and then my son went to school and I think I was kind of feeling better, not 100%, but feeling better. And as he went off to school, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to try and get back into what I did before. I think it's time. Yeah. Um, and that's when I um, randomly applied for the job at Hermes. 
and was interviewed by Dawn Redman. Um, and we clicked straight away. Um, and that was that, I had a job. And so I'd gone from kind of being at home with my son, um, trying to get over postnatal depression, doing people's nails, <laughs> to <laughs> being thrust into the crazy world of parcels. What was it like though when you, sort of that moment when you've got the job, was there, did that kind of reignite fear again or? Um, so I think it was a mix of things. I think um, somebody um, said to me about two years ago, um, so they hadn't said this to me at the time, but I think it's really relevant that um, most of us think that we're not good enough or we don't know everything that we need to do mm. or we can't do things, but actually sometimes you've just got to do them. Um, and I um, I remember kind of thinking, I was really excited because I was I was looking forward to going back into the, the land that I knew I loved, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So I had a brilliant time at home, but it was time to get back to to people and like mm. the buzz of a contact mm. centre and all the, the, the things that go on. I think somewhere inside, I, I was anxious about it. Um, but I also think... Well, that was a positive feeling, it sounds yeah. like, just in terms of your body language now as well yeah. around. Yeah, I think it was. And I think I think you hit on something earlier. I think the amount of kind of changes of jobs that I'd had or the kind of round the houses I did at GE, um, I actually felt like I was pretty well equipped to go in there. Mm. And even running my own business, kind of the core of being a beautician, all right, it's doing nails, but it's building relationships. Mm. Um, and you have a relationship with every single one of your clients and they come back to you partly because they think you do, you do their nails nice, but then loads of people could do that, but mainly because they build a relationship with you. So I think everything that I've done in my life, if it's come to, if, it, if it's, if the kind of the, the crux of the job or some of the core fundamental elements are having great relationships with people, then I don't tend to find that apprehensive as such. Yeah. I think that's kind of like, great, where do I start and how do I get in there and how do I meet people and and where do we start going? But interestingly enough, um, when I um, was at Hermes and I started to again try and come off my antidepressants, um, at that point I could. So it was almost like, um, I just needed to find something yeah. that made me tick again, I mm. think. I think going back after um, being off with my son, um, the role that I had at Santander just wasn't for me. Yeah. And I think that combined with kind of all the other parts of having a baby, um, just put me into a into a period of time where I just, yeah, just it, it, think something just wasn't quite right. But yeah, within about, I think it was definitely within a year of starting Hermes, I'd gone back to the doctors and said, I want to try again. And they'd said, mm, okay. Um, and that was it. I've never taken antidepressants since. So it's weird, isn't it? How but it's just, a, it's, I think it's, it's inspirational actually, because I think if you, um, again, it's, you touched on so many things that keep, keep cropping up. I told up. you I'd keep on rabbiting on. <laughs> but you, you, things that keep cropping up, that kind of, first of all, um, there's an element of imposter syndrome there as well, mm -hmm. about like, to, who who am I to do well? But also, you talked about a period that is probably the one of the lowest you've had, right? But you still managed, you set up your own business. Yeah. You were still, you were still an effective mother, and then you go back into the industry you, you love, um, and you've probably taken real, real deep lessons from that that you now apply to, to other. To everything around you, you know, all the teams yeah, and 
absolutely and I think that so the I guess from starting at Hermes um to today I've probably not learned the biggest lessons but had chance to reflect over what the biggest lessons are and um Hermes set me up with a business coach um which and he was fantastic actually and one of the things that we talked about was given my emotional roller coastering in my mm. nature um I used have, to get told <laughs> the nice way of saying it was uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Yeah, I'm a bit like that. And and if the roller coaster's going up, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> if the roller coaster's going down, I think that was more of a warning to other people. <laughs> yeah, just be wary of yeah. him. Yeah. What's he like? He he wears his heart on his sleeve. Oh. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. No. So I think um, that's something that I've had to learn to manage over the course of my career. And at Hermes, they were really helpful because they said, you know, you do have a bit of a reputation that you can be really up or you can be down. And when you're down, you're managing all these people mm -hmm. and people might know. Um, mm -hmm. So um, we spent a long time thinking about sort of coping strategies for when you feel like you're going down. So it's um, first of all, recognizing that that's the, that's the way the roller coaster is going, um, and when you start to feel—you've been on this ride before, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite a few times—and when you start to feel that you're going down on the roller coaster, um, he helped me identify a number of things that stop the roller coaster in its tracks. So things like um, we would sit and talk about. Um, he tried to get me into kind of mindfulness and. Mm. Um, uh, meditation and that was all just a bit too much for me because I think I, I just can't concentrate for that long. <laughs> so there's a was, pattern <laughs> developing here. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit like that's lovely, but I think I'll try something yeah. else. Um, and what we learnt, um, or I learnt with his help, was that that if I spot the triggers, there are probably four or five things that um, I can do to stop the roller coaster. And the big thing for me, and the thing that I found, um, the more senior you get. I actually don't get a chance to do the stuff that I love as much. So the more senior you get, you spend time in meetings, you spend mm. time talking about mm. all kinds of random things. But what I love is being out on the floor yeah. and talking to the guys out there and kind of hearing about their days yeah. and hearing what the customers are saying and, and the buzz of being on the contact center floor. So what, um, or spending time with my team, my direct reports, um, which again, I spend a lot of time with my direct reports and we speak to each other kind of most days um, if we're not, if we don't see each other. Um, but just sitting with them and having some real conversations about the contact center would stop the roller coaster because um, the roller coaster would often start to go down regarding much bigger business issues mm. so it might mm. be that um, again back to imposter syndrome I might feel like somebody didn't think I was doing a great job but it mm. wouldn't be within my own team it would mm. be kind of externally or there was going to be a difficult situation to deal with well I might have to go and present something somewhere well that would start the roller coaster and then I'd have to kind of go right stop it go and do something that you love yeah that's and great just spending I tell you what I love the most and still I don't get time enough to do it just going and sitting and listening to calls with people and doing mm. that, you know, just like, yeah. you know, that's just fantastic. That's the best. I always feel so happy when I'm doing that. Or at the moment, um, I do a monthly coffee with Catherine and we pick some of our total superstars who um, are on the front line and they come and um, tell me about how they deliver great customer experiences and what it's like working there and um, what they love about it but also what they don't like yeah. about it and you know how can I help and, and what do I need to know that I won't know unless they tell me and it's moments like that where you think to yourself this is why I do this job yeah. I don't do this job to sit in a meeting talking about I don't know whatever it might be today I do this job because I love 
the buzz of the contact centre floor and I love the buzz of having the people and, and hearing what they do every day. Yeah. Um, so for me, that still is a massive, massive um, stopper of the roller coaster, if that I makes sense. I love it. Sense. Cause I, I remember I took over this, um, I took over this team and I was still quite early, I think, in managing managers and team leaders. And for the first two weeks at this company, all I did was just go out on the floor and go around and talk, try to talk to everyone. It was about, about 120, 130 people. I had a little notebook with me, but I was just, it was really, and people were saying, wow, that's really different what he's doing. I think, do you know what? More of it was just, that's what I like to do. Yes. I just wanted to talk. I just wanted yeah. to talk and yeah, get to know people. And It's like your perfect combination, isn't it? Of um, hearing what the customers are saying and getting and talking to people who have headsets on all day. So they, <laughs> yeah. they the glamorous yeah. headset, um, they can't come and just talk to you. Um, and I think, I, again, I've said it before, I'm not hierarchical at all. I would hate to think that there was somebody in my team that didn't think I was approachable or didn't think they could come and talk to me about something. Um, and at Hermes, I had an office and um, I would have, and, and now I don't. And actually, I love it that mm. I sit out on the floor mm. and I can see what's going on. And I you can just much, sense it as well, yeah, though, can't you? Yeah, much more easily talk to people. And I used to have people knocking on the door on my office. Oh, sorry to bother you. And I'm like, you're not bothering me. This is my job. You know, mm. talk to me. Mm. But there's, there's the door there. Um, and now there isn't. So I think that's a massive, that's made a massive difference. Just not having, just being part of the floor again. Um, so no, that's been really great. I think the other lesson that um, I learned when I was uh, being business coached is um, looking after yourself. Yeah. So um, massive part of this for me. Um, I know that I love being outside. I'm really, really outdoorsy. So for me, um, taking my dogs for a walk clears my head. Mm. Um, so I get up every day at six and I walk with some friends in the village with our dogs. Um, I love it, absolutely love it. We see all kinds, we see owls, we see deer, we see all sorts, and you just, and shooting stars, so I get all excited about this. <laughs> um, and you go, you get, and you, you kind of, you get to seven in the morning and you've done your day's exercise. Um, so we do that day in, day out. And that's a good mind clearing exercise for me to just get outside in the fresh air. Um, you probably, I've told you about my sheep and my goats and all your animals. All your animals. Normal little animals, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, again, like on the weekend, it sounds really ridiculous, but I just go and sit with them and, like, you know, mess around with them and they're yeah. like, they're really funny. So, I think you have to know what makes you tick. And when um, I was trying to practice uh, meditation and stuff like that, that just didn't work for me. But I guess being outside is my meditation, just being out in the fresh air. So, um, I think, again, had I have had my time again, maybe I should have been a vet or something. But I'm really squeamish and I don't like With blood. a headset. With a headset, yeah. Do you think, because um, one of the things that even just doing the podcast, it's been fascinating to hear, uh, hear from people that are successful and we'll talk about your awards and judging and, um, and, I, and you know, I've shared my kind of story as well previously, but... Um, Again, you, you there is a, you perceive people that are successful not to have had any problems or challenges in their life, and um, I think we're getting better at talking about that and how for different people there's different um, solutions. And how do you manage to? How does your experiences help you manage better? And how do you? So for you, for example, it wasn't mindfulness but it's being out in nature, how can you accommodate 
a lot of people, if you've got lots of direct reports, that might all require something different to be at their best? Yeah, so teams are a funny thing, aren't they? Um, so it's a really good question because I think um, everybody will have their own um, coping mechanisms that work for them. Um, so I think a lot of the time it's just trying to understand what they are um, and understand how to help facilitate them. But also I think I'm a massive believer in um, a team. So on our own, we're all only as successful as the things we know and the things we do. But mm. as a team, we can be massively strong. And I think that whenever I've had a team and I'm thinking about the team I've got now, you have each other's backs and your team is your safe space to um, have support. It's your safe space to make mistakes without anybody going, oh, it's your fault over there yeah. and, and all the blame. Um, it's your space because nobody will ever be on their A game altogether or it's unusual. So you have to pick up with each other um, and so my team now are fantastic at this and I think we keep our um, kind of little antennae out and you can so for example some of my team are new so let's all make sure that they're okay let's make sure they feel comfortable let's make sure that they've got everything they need let's make sure if they're having a moment that there's somebody there to have a cup of tea with them um, so I think the beauty of a team is that you don't all need to be on your A game at the same time because mm. if you have a strong team you pick up the slack when other people can't mm. um, so within a team um, I had a situation earlier this year um, that was pretty challenging personally. Um, I know other members of my team have had different situations. Um, and when someone else needs a bit of extra time, then the others pick up. Um, and I think that keeps you going, but it also builds the bond stronger mm. within your team um, because you have to be there and you have to have each other's backs. Um, and I think that's the way we approach everything. We approach everything, someone said to me, you keep your backs together and you face the world together. Um, that's and nice. That's the way we do it. Yeah. So um, that's, I think, how we um, overcome periods where um, we're not all on our A game. Because I think um, your, your mental health is a bit like a bucket, isn't it? Like your, your emotional well-being, And you, everybody can cope with a level of stress. Yeah. Um, and if your work's stressful but your home life's fine, then you're probably all right. Or if your work's stressful and then your home life gets stressful and then, I don't know, your, your granny falls over and you have to do some helping out and the bucket's just filling up and filling up and filling up and then at some point it starts to overflow and I think that's when people go, I just can't do this anymore. So I think it's, it's kind of being mindful of your team, being mindful of how full their buckets are and then being able to give them a little release valve on the bucket um, if you think they're about to fall off the cliff and kind of go, do you know what? I know you're really worried about whatever it might yeah. be outside of work, mm. so go home. You know, yeah. Don't worry about work today. Don't worry about this because I'll pick it up for you. Don't worry about that because whoever over here will help with that. So it's, I think it's just keeping a check that people's buckets aren't getting too full or giving them the release valves if they are um, and appreciating as well that people are human beings and we're not machines. Mm. So a lot of the time, um, it's just checking in, just checking in, I think, just being conscious of what your team are having to do um, and making sure that they're okay in doing it or is there anything else you need to do to step in? So I think it's just that that mindfulness that, again, going back to the family, they're your work family. Um, so you, you kind of have their backs, they have your back and you face the world together, but you pick up when people dip because people will and to do that you have to know about their lives mm. and they're you know that I think there's a fallacy that this kind of it's nice to see there's a lot of thought now around it's not about a work-life balance because people are going to go through life events whether it's birth yep. of children 
um, bereavement, moving house, and each one of those is associated with stress. So whilst someone can be talking to you about work and you're wondering, this is sort of slightly strange behaviour, it's probably not about work, it's about yeah. the life event that they're, that they're going through, you know, so... Yeah, totally. And I think um, I think it's, it's it's hard today, isn't it? Because our, our work lives are so busy that I myself feel like I'm talking about work too much sometimes. And then and that's why I think I try and just keep my eye on people because you you don't even notice that you're doing it. Work, 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 work. And I think because um, I love work, I get really yeah. excited about <laughs> it. Then um, uh, you know that's that's kind of always running around in your head. What next? What next? What next? But then you do have to, like I say, you just keep your eye out and think. Oh, actually, kind of whoever over there is is starting to look a bit tired, or somebody over here, you know, said something and it made me think. Mm, is everything okay? So I think it is just definitely. Um, trying your best even when the times are busy to know things about your team and mm. their lives not just their lives at work um, even though I know I fall guilty into the trap of being too busy and getting too excited about work sometimes but then having that radar of kind of just checking in to make sure that everything is okay. Mm. That's what, I mean it's great I think it's just um, has it influenced your has your own experience influenced your own views on things like flexible working and yeah totally so um Funnily enough, I was pondering this on the car on the way here. Um, when I went back to work after I had my daughter and I had postnatal depression, that's probably the only time in my whole career when I've worked for somebody um, who said, you must be in the office at nine and you must leave the office at five. And what I found I was doing with my short attention span was work doesn't really work like that. Or it, certainly mm. my jobs have never worked like that. You might have a day when you really stacked out and you worked till nine o'clock at night, or you might work all weekend, but then on Thursday, actually the work ran out at two because you've done everything that yeah. you're, you know, and you're a bit tired. So it makes more sense to just go and do something different yeah. rather than sit at your desk. And I found I just clock watched all the time. So I was thinking, oh, five. Oh, God, it's only four o'clock. What <laughs> yeah. should I do? Oh, yeah. I'll have a cup of tea. <laughs> and, uh, and I just pottering around. And then at five, everyone run out the door. And it was like, exodus um which is insane when you think crazy. about it isn't it we know so much more now about our brains and how we're most the times we're most productive mm. to do this kind of thing it's stuck in the victorian times of kind yeah. of factories and that kind of yeah. stuff and funnily enough i read something um a, a short while ago that said people have this nine to five concept well actually um where's it come from because it used to be a six-day week we used to work a six-day week and we had Sundays off, didn't we? And then it's gone to like a five-day week and now kind of there's a bit of a, I suppose, in some areas, reluctance to move away from this kind of nine-to-five, five-day um, a week, um, what's the word, way of working. Yeah. But I suppose it, one massive benefit we have is that customers don't try and contact you between nine and five Monday <laughs> no. to Friday. So we can quite legitimately say, actually, they're not really the hours that I need to work yeah. to because customers um, will want to get hold of you when it suits them. And that probably isn't nine till five. Yeah. Um, so that, I think, gives us an element of flexibility within the roles that we do that contact centres don't tend to open nine till five Monday to Friday. So you have to think a bit differently. Um, but thinking about... Um, having had my, both my children and going back to Hermes, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this job today if I hadn't worked for a succession of um, more open-minded leaders who 
were kind of very much more focused on the outputs of what I did mm. rather than the amount of hours that I sat in a chair yeah. and clocking in at nine o'clock on I've a morning. I've done 72 hours. I haven't done anything <laughs> with them. But. Yeah. I've had a lot of cups of tea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've chatted about the weekend. But no, so I think um, I've been really lucky in that sense that at Hermes, um, it, it was hard work. Hermes was tough because it's 24-7, um, seven days a week. It's just... Um, the parcels never stop coming so you it is it is kind of it is a tough form with work-life balance but having said that um the ceo really family focused in the sense that you work the hours that you need to work do the job mm. and make sure that we can see the outputs but it doesn't matter which office you sat in or whether you're at your desk at nine o'clock in the morning um and again my boss now vincent very much the same so um what i tend to find works for me and i know we've had this conversation is my little boy is nearly 10, he's 10 in December, um, my little girl's 15. Um, they don't need me as much as they used <laughs> to, so I'm a bit like that. Oh. Um, so what I don't want to do is to kind of start, I, I've always, or certainly for a long time, taken them to school, or taken my little one to school, my daughter takes herself on the bus now, she'd be mortified if I tried to take her to school. <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> like, do you have to give me a kiss bye-bye? Uh, no thanks, who are you anyway? Get out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a bit like that now. but. Um, I know that I have every morning with him and then my husband does the evenings. So what I would what I'm treasuring is having a career and a boss who allow me to have that time on a morning of mm. him knowing he has that comfort of me dropping him off every morning because yeah. I've only got another year of that and he's yeah. going to be like getting on the bus going mm, yeah she's a bit embarrassing don't touch me. <laughs> yeah. Um and then the way again the way it works is cuz I'm quite flexible at work. I try and spend um, most of my time at work when we're not in meetings talking to people mm. and making the most of the time that I'm there and then I try and take a day a week working from home because there'll be some papers that I need to read or some kind of project documentation that needs um, some thought giving to it and that's really difficult when you sit on the floor in the contact centre and people are going oh, with a I'm short happy. attention span <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. oh look yeah. a squirrel yeah. <laughs> yeah. would you like a donut oh yes please <laughs> what kind of competition com <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I do try and take a day a week just to read so that that means that when I'm in the office for four days, I, I can spend time with people. Mm. Um, and then I find on an evening, again, um, great flexibility. It doesn't really matter what time I leave, but I tend to find evenings are a good time to clear emails down. So mm. I might leave, I don't know, half four, five, half five, six, whatever time it, the day ends, when everything's kind of in the office gets done. And then I'll go home, sort the kids out, and then kind of when they're all kind of playing on the playstations or whatever or playing on their phones in the mm. case of my daughter then I'll sit down and I'll just clear my emails down mm. so working's totally different I'm not sat in the office nine till five but work spans over yeah. a longer period in different locations and we were sharing beforehand weren't we just both working for progressive leaders mm. but also not so progressive and I think when so I had my f first daughter when I was 22 um it was terrifying and um but i remember a a boss at the time telling me that the you know to create this he called it golden time mm. so that nothing nothing ever came nothing was allowed in golden time other than being totally present with your daughter or mm. the child and at, at the time it was a it was a real, you know, it was quite, it was quite old-fashioned contact centre. But he was very, he was progressive, mm. and he was kind of twenty, twenty-five years older than me. Um, and again, now, those are the sort of lessons that you take from people, where you go, you know what? 
I, I don't, I look back on that and I go, because I've done all that all the way through my career and three children, I've never sacrificed that. And I, I want to thank him for that, for that kind of thing, because it's, it's like you say, you don't, I don't regret, I don't go, oh, I wish I'd worked more hours in that yeah. call centre in Hounslow. Yeah. No, I don't. You know, it was yeah. more about outside of work, there was a time, it was less of a challenge, I guess, because there weren't, mobile phones were enormous at the time. So. <laughs> Did they attach to your car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lights would flicker whilst you were charging them up. Um, so there were less distractions, but it was that kind of, it's that, that golden time. And even now as a leader of people, you still go, you know what? It, Ultimately, we all we're all passionate about work. I think you orientate towards mm-hmm. people that are similar, but we're all passionate about work. We all want to do well, but it's not that important. No. <laughs> I'm kind of completely defeating the object of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just all quit. We'll, we'll, we'll just yeah, go. come on. <laughs> but it, it's not though, is it? No. So I to- totally, totally, totally agree. So I'm consider myself to be massively lucky because I do something that I love Mm, Um, and hopefully the majority of people who work in my team love it as well Mm. Um, there'll be days when we do love it and there'll be days when we don't but we all come to work because we want to make good lives for ourselves outside of work and that might be because we've got kids it might be because we like spending time with our friends it Mm. might be I don't know any and we've got a pursuit that we like doing that you know needs some money to be spent on it Um, so the ultimate reason that we go to work is to earn money and if we love it along the way then that's great but I think that I would never want Dawn Redman used to say this nobody will ever miss a nativity on my watch because yeah Yeah. it is and I think that that's what um that's another kind of life lesson that you you take along Mm. with you isn't it that um it it, and I suppose thinking back to the me at 20 I had my daughter at 24 she was in fact she was born on my 25th birthday um we share a birthday and I think what the older me knows is what's really important Mm. and kind of I've always been relatively empathetic, but I think when you have your own kids, you really can put yourself in other people's shoes and mm. you really can go, do you know what? What's the worst thing that's going to happen in the office if that person goes home? Yeah. You know, yeah. a couple of calls or queue. You know, mm. it's not it's not it's not the end of the world. Um, and I think thinking back to coping strategies, one of the things and resilience, another thing that someone's told me that makes me smile, it's really useful. And I do think this to myself sometimes and I know I sometimes say it to my team. If things are like bad or, you know, you're thinking about and people are starting to panic, you go, well, what's the worst thing that can yeah. happen? It's not like yeah. we're doctors and nurses, is it? Mm. We're not doing brain surgery. Mm. Um, we love it. But it's, you know, most things it might yeah. have a, 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 a not ideal outcome but relatively know, speaking relatively speaking yeah. you know yeah. what is the worst thing that could happen mm. um so i think a lot of um what we talk about work and the culture that we're trying to um foster uh, along that vein is you know try new things fail fast learn mm. from them mm. um somebody once said to me you know um how many how many mistakes have you made and you think well do you know what I've probably made tons of mistakes. Yeah, but, I can't count. Yeah, it's just too many. yesterday, you know, yeah. whatever, loads of mistakes. But it's not how many mistakes you make, it's how uh, you, how quickly you can go, oh, do you know what, actually, that's probably not quite right. So mm. how do I fix it? Or what are the team of people that we need to do to make it better? And let's go and get on with it. Or mm. what did we learn from that? And therefore, how can we go and do it something a bit different again or actually mm. no, that was a terrible idea don't ever do that again in any way shape or form but it's having that um that f- kind of f- safety in your organization and creating the safety within your own team to say you know 
we're going to try some new stuff um, with my short attention span. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the worst thing that can happen? And do you know what? If we try it, what controls have we got around it? If something goes wrong, how quickly can we pick it up? And then how do we do something different? Mm. And and some of the stuff you try will be great successes and some of them won't. Um, mm. But that's kind of life, isn't it? Well, that leads on to... So before I, before I met you, um, I was told... I was told this story oh about... God. The, oh, no. <laughs> Where's he going? Where's he going? Um, no, it was, about, it was about the awards. Yes. It's about the awards that you, um, that you won and that kind of journey as well, because that's a perfect example of what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, this story starts with Dawn Redman as well. So um, <laughs> when I started at Hermes, Dawn had just won, um, I think, it was contact centre manager of the year at the CCMA and obviously having been out of the industry for so long I'd not heard of the CCMA um, so Dawn was a massive advocate and I think I can't remember whether it was kind of after one year or two years that um, she entered me into the um, contact centre manager of the year for large contact centres um, and again talking about you never think you're, you're good enough do you mm. um, I was kind of like well absolutely no way no way I'm gonna have any chance of winning this but all credit to Anne-Marie the the process is really good fun mm. um, so yeah it's great isn't it yeah it is and that, so I think I guess for anybody who's thinking shall I shan't I just do it because yeah. you get some fantastic people coming if to if you forget about the you. result and just yeah. go do you know what the process is is beneficial anyway and then if the result is the result then yeah no happy days exactly and I think it, I've now been through the process three times and every time the first time I met Claire Carroll from the co-op so she was the judge who came out um, uh, when I uh, won the first award um, and the whole process is just so nice the judges come to your organization they talk to you they talk to your manager they talk to some of your team um, and just trying to find out a bit more about kind of what you're doing and, and, and kind of what you've delivered um, and then so that first year I won the bronze award for contact center manager of the year and I was like oh my god you know, yeah, this is just great. unbelievable yeah. and I remember sitting on the train on the way back just looking at my award going like Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> is that really me <gasps> yeah um, and then that was the bronze award so the following year I entered again and the following year I won the silver award <laughs> yeah. in the same category and I was like oh great um, in fact that was the year that I met Mark Wright so Mark Wright was giving out the awards oh, was it that one? Yeah, yeah yeah that was him and then the following year uh, I tried something different and I went for uh, customer experience I can't remember what it's called now customer experience leader or something like that and I won the gold award so brilliant. that was absolutely unbelievable because I, I remember so you do that thing where you go in and you, that room is so big at the brewery isn't it yeah. so I was sitting right at the back this is the thing everyone tries to second <laughs> guess oh look oh yeah. game over yeah yeah <laughs> so I was like oh wow it's gonna take me like about uh about 45 minutes to walk <laughs> to the front so I definitely haven't won so I had I kind of like had that in my head that I hadn't won and when they called my name out I was like oh wow I can't actually believe it. You just can't believe it, can yeah. you? That what an honour and how humbling that some other experts have come to visit you in your organisation and said that you're doing a great job. Yeah, it's brilliant. Just unbelievable. Did it make you think about the kind of the time when you were out of um, out of the industry and, or were you just by that point you're just in the moment and? Do you know? I think um, what 
again, I suppose this is a this is a coping mechanism that I think I'm actually naturally quite good at, so I don't need to think about it. I never really look back and dwell mm. on things. Mm. Um, maybe because I'd get bored very easily, but um, I'm always, uh, things happen in the moment. I live yeah. in the moment of stuff. Yeah. So I think um, whenever I've had a period of my life where I go, it's not really working, then I do something about it. Mm. So kind of having postnatal depression, I'd like to take redundancy. I'd like to go and do something different or I'm doing something Done. different. Next. But now, Yeah, mm. yeah, I'm doing something different, but now I'd quite like to go back to doing that because I really loved it. Done, next. So I think um, I don't sit here and think... Um, oh, I wish I'd, or I wish I'd. I think you, um, I'm a natural optimist. And nice. I think um, you you live in the moment with the, the things that are going on around you. Um, with the awards, mm-hmm. um, so that kind of bronze, silver, gold. Yeah. For people that might be listening to this, um, are there any things that you would because if you're doing these debriefs afterwards and thinking I loved getting a bronze but I'm going to enter again next year or someone's going to enter me next year um, what are the things that you would recommend people do in terms of if they're thinking about maybe going for it yeah so I think there's a few things and we can probably both emphasise with this sitting on the other side of the table as well I think um the debriefs were really interesting just sometimes you're so wrapped up in your own story it's nice to have someone else come in and go oh you know what that's really great have you thought about Um, yeah because and and some of the Claire Carroll's a great example she came in and and talked to us about some of the resourcing that we were doing so some of the feedback was around have you thought about and we were like oh my god yeah that's great so out of the um, not just winning a bronze award we actually got some tips on how we could do something a little bit differently which was fantastic I think from sitting on the other side of the table there's like a magic formula when you see something winning almost isn't there that mm. it's the story yeah there has to be a really good story and the story for me has to have a few hiccups in it because yeah. sometimes you see really shiny stories yeah. don't you and you're like well, nothing ever goes come on something must have gone wrong so there has to be some learnings in there along the way because that's what makes it real but i think um what I love about it is that when you see the people, I'm really passionate about what we do and I'm really passionate about our industry and I'm really passionate about what my team do and what my job is. Uh, and I think when you see people walk in in front of you, whether it's an individual, but it tends to be a team, certainly in the, the ones we've just done together, where the team of people walk mm. in and you can feel the energy yeah. that they're bouncing off each yeah. other and you can see that they have a great team and you can see that the story's real and it's alive and yeah. they're feeling it in front of you. So I think for me it's... Um, and there's a difference for them between presentation, it it's, doesn't feel like a presentation. Yes. It just feels like they're recounting their experience. Yeah, they're living it in front yeah. of you, aren't they? Yeah. And I think having done some judging for the, the contact centre management awards when we've been out with Dawn and, and met some of the, uh, the, the people that we've met, again, it's that energy. It's mm. that you can really pick up that these people, it's not just an award ceremony, they love what they do and they yeah. really want to tell you about the amazing thing because they love it too. Yeah. So I think um, maybe the recipe to um, getting three awards is just being really, really passionate about what you do yeah. and really enthusiastic yeah. and loving it because I think when you see it from the other side, the ones that stand out, oh my God, they have that just warmth and mm. energy mm. and 
glow mm. about them that they're so excited about what they've done mm. uh, and what they've achieved and, and it, like I say it's not just about the shininess of it it's about the story um, and the learnings and the people so I think they're the best ones I love it do you know one of the uh, I won an award in um, 2012 and I'll never forget one of the things that the judges did on the site visit so I was talking about like you this whole th this whole thing in contact centers has always been about people from the very first guy I sat next to who he he I still remember now his name's Mark Matthews <laughs> he had the same food dinner uh, dinner and tea every day so it was exact so we would go to this pub for lunchtime and he would have burger um, chips and beans and then he would have the same burger chips and beans in the evening and he was wow. as fit as a fiddle wow but anyway uh, <laughs> my team will tell you I'm really boring because I have the same thing for lunch every day Do you? what is it soup <laughs> <laughs> so I get soup and I heat it up in the micros every day and I'm really lucky because talking about teams my husband and I so the only, the, another reason that I think I can um, do the job I do is because my husband and I are a really good team so I do mornings he does nights nice. now yeah. he cooks I can't cook so sometimes when he doesn't cook uh, he says, what did you have for tea? And I go, soup. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had soup for my lunch. Nice. So I can't make soup, but I can heat a soup up in the microwave. Okay, that's Genius. good. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm a bit like that. Simple. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> yeah, I've thrown you now with my oh, soup Oh, no, that was it. So <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> um, the, yeah, this judge came in and I was talking about how much I like people. And I think what was great about him, I've forgotten his name. Um, I think he assumed everyone, he, he was quite cynical, not cynical, but cha challenging, let's mm. say. And he went, okay, I want to prove it. And he, I went, okay. And he walked out onto the contact center floor and just was, <laughs> was going up to just random <laughs> advisors and pointing to the top of their head and <laughs> saying, tell me about this person, who is it? Oh my goodness, and that's were, a novel. And they were sort of going, what's, what's this guy doing? <laughs> Am I getting fired? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. And I'd be saying, oh, this is Vicky. What, tell me about her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but I think that probably helped me. Wow, so is that, that ha that's how to do it then? Yeah. Who's this? <laughs> tell me all of their problems. <laughs> if I'm lucky enough to judge again, that's going to be... But you've, not only have you done... We talked about this kind of UK tour that you're going on. <laughs> we shouldn't mention that we're currently sat at Twickenham. <laughs> you're doing <laughs> all the stadiums, are yeah. <laughs> so As well as the X's, you did the CX ones as well. Yeah, so uh, do you know what's really great about it? I mean, judging itself is a massive honour. Which stadium was that? <laughs> that <laughs> the first was small, venues or small venues or stadium tour? <laughs> Just stadiums for me. Okay. <laughs> no, How no. dare you, 5,000 seats? <laughs> no, so I know you'll agree with this. It's such an honour to yeah. be a judge, and it's such an honour that you take it really seriously. Yeah. And we did, well, we did, we kind of met at the yeah. in London, didn't we? Yeah. You, you were doing the first day, and, and then I was there the second day. And I think you were coming back afterwards, weren't you? The thing that you really want to do it justice. Mm. So I remember it's you don't. I suppose when you when you're the um, you, when you're entering the awards, you don't think about the other side of the table. And I remember when I'd entered the awards, I was a bit in awe mm. of these people, and it was a bit scary, and mm. it was a bit kind of like ooh, you know. And when you're on the other side it's kind of the same because you want to make sure you do every entrant it's justice 
And yeah. so you want to listen. You mm. want to make sure that you um, ask questions so they have the real opportunity to sell their story. Mm. You want to make sure that they feel welcomed and comfortable and all of those nice things and that it's a positive experience for Completely. them as well. Yeah. Um, because it's such and it's such an amazing thing to hear all the stories. Mm. You know, that's that's you know, the best thing about it. I think the what I like about all the different award ceremonies <laughs> is the they're just all totally different. So the, it's it's great to go out and see people in their natural environments, mm. uh, which the Content Centre Management Awards does. Um, and that's just really great seeing people in their own environments and like you say, getting to point at people and ask, <laughs> <laughs> who's this? <laughs> who's this? And what are they called and what do they do? Um, but then the exes are really interesting because you sit there and you get all different kinds of topics coming yeah. up and you see loads of different people. Um, the Customer Experience Awards are similar to that, um, as in you do a day but you have one topic so um you sit and you, you you kind of i think we saw seven or eight different um entrants and then at the end of the day there's the award ceremony so you actually get to wow. um see the winner there and then so that instant gratification um so this year i was lucky uh, lucky enough to be the lead judge so i got to present the award as well oh, which is great. amazing that's um, on a t-shirt yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um that was that was really really good but i think all of them are so great for their differences mm. um but the, the crux of it is just being so honored to be able to sit there having been on the other side of the yeah. table and almost kind of just be really proud of mm. the people that we see um, it's really difficult isn't it as well even just trying to determine one from the other the, the, the system's always rigorous the scoring's yeah. always objective so that's helpful but you kind of everyone has value Yes. You know, the people that have come in and they've gone from A to B and and you, you kind of, they, especially like you say, the ones that take you on that journey and tell you about warts and all and that kind of thing. I think that is always, yeah, it is a real honour just to hear people and what they've done. Yeah, it is. And do you know what else it always makes me think? And, and this is the beauty of the CCMA, actually, that um, it's easy to be in your little silo and it's easy to get kind of bogged down with your own ways of working or things that you're trying to do or things that you're trying to fix and when you take a step back and you look outside and judging gives you this lens on the world that um, as do other contact centre management association events yeah. that we've all got a lot of similar problems and yeah. we're all trying to do a lot yeah. of similar things and yeah. we've all got a lot of kind of the same objectives um, so understanding how different people go about those things just gives you a whole yeah. different kind of realm of information which i think is really fantastic and, and i think the the great thing um certainly on the whole i think about people i've met in our industry is how uh, willing to share they are that's so true and uh, maybe it's because we are on the whole quite peoply people so mm. um mm. it's uh, that's always lovely and i think again just some of the advice i've had over the years and some of the the support and help just it just makes you feel really proud of the industry that we work in and I think back to starting, um, I've, I've never felt like a second class citizen working in a contact centre because I was really glad to get my head set on. <laughs> but um, I know for a long period of time, even at British Gas, as much as I loved it, it was like a military operation. So yeah. it was pretty much, you know, when the calls start queuing, you can't go to the toilet. You mm. need to put your hand up if you want this. And it was a bit like a school. Um, and I think, but even then, I, I, I was still really proud to work in, in the industry. But I think another reflection I have as I get older, as a star, I've said this to you before about talking to our kids about, you know, what they want to be when they grow <laughs> up, is I would never have ever have guessed that this is what I would have been doing. 
but if I, if you told the 20 year old me where I would be at 41, then um, I wouldn't believe you. I wouldn't believe that I could have had the career that I've had in starting with putting a headset on. Yeah. It's absolutely unbelievable yeah. and the people that I've met and the awards and mm. sort of the joy I get every day from doing Just my all the job. variety as well that you've oh, gone God. through. And but even, don't you, don't you love that about running an operation? Because mm. I think that the thing, um, our chief risk officer said this to me the other day when we were having a chat, he said, you know, I don't really, I don't, I've never really thought about the complete range of things that you might be doing every day. So we might sit and have a strategic discussion on vulnerable customers. And then I might have coffee with Catherine and I find out, well, what are the things that are broken that I can fix? And then we might have a meeting where we're talking about, well, what's our um, customer experience three-year plan on a page and what we're going to do with Omnichannel and all those things. And then we'll go into another um, session where we talk about, well, how are we going to develop our talent and, you know, what does that look like? Then I'll go do some call monitoring and then we'll have a budgeting session. Yeah. And you think... I, I where else would that happen I don't I don't mm. know or planning and resourcing mm. again yeah. all of these things that fall under your remit that you I'm not I'm not an expert on anything particularly but I know a lot about a lot of things yeah. so that I, I don't know where you could go and know about all those things to then sitting in an SLT or a board or, or an exco or whatever where you're actually looking at a business in terms right from the beginning to the end as well so yeah. you're having discussions around the commercials you're having discussions around the recoveries you know right from kind of cradle to grave stuff and you think to yourself you know I, I just wouldn't have ever imagined that this would be me but then I say to my daughter oh what do you want to do when you grow up and she goes I don't want to work in a contact center yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh great so how do we keep on doing stuff like this to turn the tide of that that you know you can have an amazing career and I think one of the most powerful things about working in a contact center is that so many of the people who come in at sort of advisor level they talk to our customers yeah. and there's no more there's very few people in most organizations that spend a lot of time talking to our customers mm. and those people as they then progress through the organization take that knowledge with them of what it actually feels like to be a customer and what our customers say about us and the things that customers like and don't like and the things that make customers buy again um, or not buy again and I think that one of the best feelings um, and this has happened in every organization I've been in that you you just have to look around and the world is full of people from customer services yeah. who've all progressed on through the organization yeah. and I think that's a fantastic it's like a fantastic um, hotbed of talent because exactly. people come into customer services particularly um, or collections with the collections team that I have now um, any not, customer facing yeah, thing really isn't yeah. it yeah not really know that mm. pe most people don't wake up and or kind of go through school and they go I really want to work in customer services but the opportunities it, it's kind of a, it is an entry-level job into an organization um, and then where the world takes you the world's your oyster really because you've been talking to the customers and you understand it and I think so the difference to me I think as I say 20 years ago is that I think um, well I think the the market's quite challenging to recruit in but I think that there's definitely an acknowledgement from most companies as um, customer experience has become more important and valuing our customers and not just making money has become more important or appreciating that valuing our customers can lead to us making more money. Um, I think a lot of organisations are placing a stronger um, value 
on customer services, customer experience and the people that deliver it. Mm. So I think that has been a shift over the last 20 years. I think if I look back to my British Gas days, we were a bit like a factory. Yeah. Um, whereas now I don't think that that's necessarily the case. And I think a lot of the kind of, certainly 20 years ago, battery hen type um, analogies, certainly I would like to think we all have those times at work where it's really busy and it's really stressful, but hopefully we're kind of addressing the balance as well and really appreciating um, the teams who talk to our customers as being one of our most valuable assets and then seeing their journeys throughout an organisation is just really, really heartening. So I'm massively passionate about that as a university dropout, that <laughs> 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 you can have a fantastic career um, and it's just about finding what you're passionate about um, and going with it. And one funny thing that I will tell you, I've just remembered um, about my uh, careers advisor at school and um, did you have a careers advisor? Yeah. <laughs> what did they say you should be? Do you know, mine was something really, it was really odd. It was something, it was um, to do something in manual labour. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was like carpenter <laughs> or something it? like that. Yeah, candlestick maker. <laughs> mine was a librarian. No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, oh, I could have taken that advice. <laughs> I might be. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't envisage that at no, all. No, I can't. I mean, I do like books. That I, I do yeah. like reading. But I think, God, I'd be like the noisiest librarian in the It'd world. It'd be a good library to be in. It would be. You would not if you wanted to read. No. <laughs> Other than that, it'd be perfect. If you wanted to cup of tea and some biscuits and a chat. And soup. And soup. Yeah. It'd be brilliant. If you wanted to read books, no. No. Get the books. Leave. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, from being um, recommended to be a librarian to doing the job that I do now, I feel really honoured. Um, I think it, it's um, one of the things that I'm proud of but I know it's one of the things I've worked really hard for as well because mm. I think that's another um, perhaps misunderstanding that I think to, to get to a role like this then you do have to work really hard mm. I don't think it just happens I think you have to uh, but when you're passionate about something working really hard is good mm. and straightforward mm. and you do it because you love it and I think I'm at a really great place now with my team that I know they feel the same way too. Yeah, that's great. And there's nothing better than having a team of people, a bit like at the awards when you see it in front of you, yeah. who actually are doing what we do because we love it. And we're doing what we do because we can. We want to drive some great results and we want to have great engagement or all those things. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's, it's really interesting looking back, um, but no, massively humbled to be sitting where I am today and not being in a library <laughs> not still pulling um, entries for the walks <laughs> out of the sack <laughs> but I just I, honestly I think it's been um, inspirational to hear your your story and um, to know how passionate you are and how motivating you are has come across just just doing this so thank you very much no, you're welcome. Anytime you want to hear the ramblings of a mad woman, <laughs> you are more than welcome. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure one of the things you mentioned there was around that it's generally people don't realise how open everyone is to yeah. talking, and I'm sure you, people can contact you however they. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the things that I've learned, we're talking a lot about things we've learned today, aren't we, in our uh, coping mechanisms. One of the things that I've learned and probably came really into focus when I left Hermes and started at Hitachi is 
the importance of a network. Mm. So I think I'd completely taken for granted at Hermes that um, I'd been there for six years, I'd worked my way up, I knew a lot of people and I trusted people. I knew who to trust and I knew who had my back. And if I had um, a downtime or an issue, I knew exactly who to go to. Um, and I think that one of the hardest things, and some of the people at Hitachi, if they listen to this, will probably smile because um, I, I have been found in the toilets a couple of times, like, I'm all on my own and I have no <laughs> network. <laughs> um, but that's like, I need human interaction yeah. to just kind of bounce ideas off or um, kind of talking about the roller coaster if you start to feel the roller coaster going down another thing is just to go find someone you trust and go can I just ask you this or yeah. today I feel a bit like this you know what do you think and just to have those networks to bounce ideas off um, so uh, this is a very very long way round of saying absolutely yes I think um, I really appreciate the network that I now have at Itachi and the support that that gives me plus the people I'm still in touch with from jobs I've had in the past and people like yourself who you meet along your way, mm. along your path. So um, if anybody ever did want to reach out to me, then of course that's absolutely fine. And I think um, they're the kind of things that make the world go round, aren't they? Just broadening, broadening the network of people that you know, um, understanding that we're all on our own little journeys and we're all yeah. ups and downs. Yeah. And Especially now, I mean, just the connections that you can make and just the odd text message here mm. here and there or sharing something um it is sometimes it's just exactly what you need at that moment yeah isn't it yeah it is um you made my um made me sad the day when you posted about on on linkedin and i was just like oh you know because you always think that everything oh, everything what? comes from a place of good <laughs> doesn't it and when it, i was getting a bit of when abuse you, when you were yeah. getting a bit of abuse and uh and I, straight away I was like, oh, no, that's absolutely awful. And then I think you sent me a funny gif. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or a picture of a chicken. <laughs> yeah, I think it was goats. <laughs> no, because I think the other thing uh, through all of this and all, uh, all everything to do with people is, I think I said it to you that day, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Yeah. Um, mm. We've all got our own things going on. Mm. And one of the things that I certainly try and do is not necessarily show that at work mm. because I think people look to you and if you look worried they're worried but you might be worried about the fact that your grandma's ill or yeah, yeah. your cat's got an operation mm. but they mm. see you and they think she's worried that means something bad's going to happen yeah so I think um I try all the time and keep kind of the positive face on it but I bet a lot of people are like that and I bet underneath you don't know what people are going through no you don't and I think there's there's no need in the world the world's a bad enough place already without unnecessary um unpleasantness <laughs> shall yeah. we say um so yeah i think um in a world where you can be anything be kind and that's a lovely place to end catherine thanks very much that's been brilliant thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> bye bye <laughs>